Welcome to the Rock Hill Dream Center Church, where we have a vision to see communities transformed by the gospel as we love, serve, share, and send. Thank you for joining us. Six thousand five hundred to seven thousand different languages spoken around the world. I thought this was an interesting fact: is that the complete Bible has been written in seven hundred and four. You probably knew this, Troy. Wherever Troy's at, seven hundred and four different translations of the complete Bible. That's the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that's a lot of different languages for the Bible to be printed in for people around the world. But if you look at there's over 6,000 different languages that people understand, that's kind of got a lot of work to be done. Um, the New Testament has been translation, translated in 1,551 different languages. That's pretty cool. That's the gospel. So what does all that mean? Paul, why are you saying that? Why are you giving us this information? What's going on? Well, we do know this. When we go into Genesis 11... We're going to be looking at a group of people that um, God was, had done given a command and they had done already messed it up again. And there was a one language and they were getting a lot of things done for themselves and not God because they were, had one language. So, you know, Noah had done built this ark and, and, and he brought his sons on there and, and he, the floods came and flooded the whole earth, right? You know the stories. You've heard them. If you haven't, a flood came and just washed away all the people and all of the sinful nature. And, and this ark landed and the people come out. And God said, now go and inhabit the world. Now go and inhabit the world. But just as humanity will do, we'll always get our own plan, our own agenda, and how we want to do it. We think it always needs to look a little bit different than what God called us to, to do. So let's read together in Genesis 11, 1 through 9, and then we'll just let God just take over this. And after I read this, we're going to just pray again shortly and say, God, let this be your word. We don't want to get in the way of it. So Genesis 11, 1 through 9, let me read and read along with me. It says, at one time, all of the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and, and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stones and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord, the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look. He said, the people are united and they are all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, God, we ask right now that it would be one voice, one language, your language, Lord God. Would you speak to us this morning through your word to understand the depth of you and how much 
your love and your patience is for us, God. So, Lord God, we just give this time over to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, move in this place, move in our hearts to let us be transformed to be more of your image bearers. We love you, Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so there's three things here that the people wanted to accomplish by building this tower. There's actually four, and I'll throw this fourth one out, and it's not written down. You know, they just kind of came off of a, a pretty significant thing. It's called a flood. So if, if, if you've heard stories of this great flood, you might want to build a tower that kind of goes way up in the air a little bit. But a lot of the, um, the theologians kind of discount that because in the area that they were building was a flat, and it was a huge flat land, but there were mountains all around it. So if they were really kind of worried about the floods again, they would have probably started building this temple on one of the peaks of the mountains, which would have given them elevation without having to start. But they, this was started, as it says, in, in a plain of Babylonia. So I didn't, I didn't put that down. But the three things that I, I believe humanity tries to do, the three things that people wanted to accomplish by constructing this tower, is number one is um, they wanted to be equal with God. They wanted to be equal with God. That's been the problem from the beginning, right? Adam and Eve wanted to be equal with God. We want to have the same authority. I don't know about y'all, but I can even relate. Sometimes I just want to do my own thing. But they wanted to be equal with God. Secondly, they want to make a name for themselves. It says that in scriptures. It clearly says, hey, if we make this, we'll be known. So they were building something to make a name for themselves. And the third is that they wanted to stay together and not fill the earth. See, they had been given a very clear commandment from the Lord that they were to go and to fill the earth. But again, they said, well, we can do this right here. We'll build a tower up into the heavens. We'll be like God. We'll be up there with him. And we can just, this will be, just, this will be fine. So they wanted to rebel against God. They rebelled against him. I don't know if they wanted to or not, but they didn't follow what he called them to do. A couple of notes that I, I wrote down from Matthew Henry's commentary is that God has a various means and effectual ones to baffle and defeat the projects of proud men that set themselves against him and particularly to divide them among themselves, either by dividing their spirits, which you can read in Judges 9.23, where it talked about the king and the people, that the God came in and made the people and the king's spirits not be the same, or by dividing their tongue, as, as David prays in Psalms 55.9. But what a difference there is between men's buildings and God's. See, when men were building Babel, it was built out of bricks and tar. It was dark. It was black. It was, it was, it was just yucky looking. So it, there were these, these kiln-fired bricks, and they would build this tower with these bricks and this tar, and it would make it waterproof, and it would be used for mortar. But it probably wasn't a very pretty structure. It was a structure that was probably kind of sound, but it wasn't very good looking. But when God builds his Jerusalem, what does he do? He lays even the foundations with sapphires and all of its borders with pleasant stones. That's Isaiah 54, 11, Revelations 21, 19. Think about how God's going to build. He's the 
most perfect architect and builder. Anytime we think that we can build something bigger or better than God, we're probably going to end up hurting ourselves. So let's get into this a little bit. We do know through scriptures that our God is patient, he's faithful, and he loves us. He wants to wait on us to come back to him. He, he does not want to see us be separated from him forever and ever. So God is so faithful in, in wanting to hold on and wait. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take you to a piece of scripture in Isaiah this morning that should also give the church hope, but it should also challenge the church in how we think, what we do, and how we pray for one another, okay? So look, look what God did in Isaiah 59. If you have your Bibles, this is a lot of reading here, but it's very, very necessary. I hope that you can just get your mind to a place where you can follow along on the screen and don't get tone deaf to my voice. Let God speak to you through this. But in Isaiah 59, we've got to read this entire chapter because it gives us so much clarity on who God is and, and what he's doing even to this day, okay? So let's go to Isaiah 59. It said, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you. Before I get into it, what is he saying there? So the Israelites were really, really, and they were just whining and belly aching, and they were, oh, God's not here for it. They were doing what they'd been doing for a long time. They were just complaining about what God has not, the Lord has not done for them and how he couldn't help them and everything. So Isaiah was speaking to them on, oh, no, you're wrong. Um, the Lord is way more capable than anything that you're thinking. So that's what he's addressing here. And then just listen to the transitions as we go through it. Says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have you cut off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Your hands are the hands of murderers and your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies and your mouth spews corruption. No one cares about being fair and honest. The people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deeds and they then give birth to sin. They hatch deadly snakes and weave spider's webs. Whoever eats their eggs will die. Whoever cracks them will hatch a viper. Their webs cannot be made into clothing and nothing they do is productive. All their activity is filled with sin and violence is their trademark. Their feet run to do evil and they rush to commit murder. They think only about sinning. Misery and destruction always follow them. They don't know where to find peace or what it means to be just and good. They have, they have mapped out crooked roads and no one who follows them knows a moment's peace. So there is no justice among us and we know nothing about right living. We look for light but find only darkness. We look for bright skies but walk in gloom. We grope like the blind along a wall, filling our way like people without eyes. Even at brightest noontime, we stumble as though it were dark. Among the living, we are like the dead. We growl like hungry bears. We moan like mournful doves. We look for justice, but it never comes. We look for rescue, but it's, it is far away from us. For our sins are piled up before God and testify against us. Yes, we know 
what sinners we are. We know we have rebelled and have denied the Lord. We have turned our backs on our God. We know how unfair and oppressive we have been, carefully planning our deceitful lies. Our courts oppose the righteous and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and, in, and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. He will pay them back even to the ends of the earth. In the west, people will respect the name of the Lord. In the east, they will glorify him, for he will come like a raging flood, tide driven by the breath of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. And this is my covenant. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them. And neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on your lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. Wow, it's a lot of scripture, isn't it? If you love to just kind of investigate God at his word, I like to do things backwards a little bit. So let me, there's a New Testament book called the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 6, it talks about the full armor of God. Did you notice at the latter part of this passage that the Lord God was putting on his armor? That won't mess your head up. That'll mess your head up that God said, watch this. Put his helmet on, the shield, everything. He's passionate. He's passionate about restoring people back to right. He's so passionate about that. But look in verse 20. In verse 20, what did it say? I'll read it to you. It says, the Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins. Jesus came to buy back us. And even if you know some of the Old Testament language and how they, it talked about how redeemers would come in and restore broken families or broken fields or all this stuff that was happening. So a redeemer would come in and make all this chaos, make it back right. So basically Isaiah is speaking in a language that's helping these Israelites understand that you've screwed it all up. You've wanted to rebel. You've wanted to be God. You've wanted your own way and you do not have any hope. You are like murderers. You're sinners. You've messed it all up. You have no hope. But there's a redeemer and his name is Jesus. And he came to buy back, to make things right. But there's a part of this when I, when I jotted this down that we as the church have to, to grasp and ask God to open our eyes to who have turned from their sins. We live in a nation today 
for saying a prayer and knowing the name of Jesus, somehow you've been taught, or not you, but the humanity's been taught that I can live any way I want as long as I throw out my Jesus card. I can lie, I can corrupt, I can sue, I can steal. Hey, I've, I've done every one of those things I just called, called out. But that doesn't give me the right to continue to do it. See, when Jesus comes on the scene, he redeemed. He made the field that was torn up. He made it right. Not for me just to go in and continue to plow it up and tear it up again. That, that hey, Paul, I love you so much that I've changed you that you're to be different. You're to be an ambassador for the kingdom. You're to look different like a foreigner in the land. And, and I'm telling you, we have a nation today that looks really, really bad. But there's good news and his name is Jesus. And we, hear me church, hear me little old Dream Center church. I know y'all get it. You love people. You have been given the charge of being the light in the darkness. That means that when you go out through your neighborhoods or you go into your job places or you turn on the television or you go to the grocery store, that there's a good chance that what we read in the upper half of this psalm is gonna look just like that. And it's really easy for us to say, well, damned you, and you hell's what you deserve. But Jesus says, I need you to be the light that draws this darkness to me. And I'm just gonna be honest with you, there is some days that that is very hard to do because I start putting the word I in, I start building my tower of Babel, I start doing it my way, I start having my agendas, I start wanting to be able to say, hey, you called me to go, God, but I'm just comfortable right here in this valley of Babylonia, and I'm gonna build my tower, and it's gonna be something that's exciting to me, and that's all about me, and it's not about you anymore, God. I know, I'm good, but the, with them. So, my heart breaks. My heart breaks for my brothers and sisters in Christ that's tired. But his word says to continue the race. Continue the race. Let he, let God be the strength through you. Church, we cannot do it apart from God. There are lost people in the Tri-County. There are lost people in Rock Hill, South Carolina. There are lost people in your neighborhood, on your street, that do not think the way you think. And the reason they don't is because their eyes have not been opened up to the truth. Now, we have an option. We can either pull the scales and let God use us, help use us to pull part of the scales off of their eyes, or we can either use our words and our actions to put more scales on their eyes. We have to trust God to come in and to do a work first in us and then in his city. 
But we have to understand that we have to turn from sin. See, being adopted into God's family by the blood of Jesus doesn't give us the freedom to freely oppose God. We're not as equal. I think about that armband that was really popular. What would Jesus do? Hey, that's a nice armband. If you got one on today, praise God. It's nice to want to be, do what Jesus would do. But if we're not careful, that can teach us incorrectly. Because I don't want to just imitate Jesus' characteristics. I want to have the heart of Jesus. Because if I start trying to imitate feeding people or try, trying to imitate doing this and my heart is still hard, I'm missing the whole point and I'm following a bunch of rules and I'm doing some works and from the outside I look like I got it all together but on the inside I kind of feel like the first part of Psalm 59. But not what would Jesus do but what did Jesus come to do? He came to save us from ourselves because we, history has shown that we can't stop rebelling. And we will continue to try to rebel at the fall. There was a fracture. And everybody sitting in here, all of us, will fight this until the day that Jesus gets us. Is that there's two parts of our life. There's a part that, that grows in relationship with Jesus that has a peace and a calmness and a love and a patience and a gentleness and a self-control that is so attractive to the lost world that people want to come and be around it. But then there's another part of us that, that is agenda-driven, that's it's all about me and I need to get mine. And it's like they probably get what they deserve anyway, that's the darkness. That's the, that's the darkness that, that Jesus came to save us from. But sanctification and walking with Jesus and walking with the family and walking being powered by the Holy Spirit gives us the ability not to feed this man because this man has been killed. He's dead. And this is the man that God called us to nurture or woman to be brought up in the ways of the Lord. And it's a daily thing that we repent from our sin, that we, we ask God, God, what is it in my life? What am I blind to that is not from you? And we have to turn. See, at the Tower of Babel, humanity was dispersed. Because God knew that their sin would just continue to grow and grow and grow and God sits there and he's talking into Trinity right what does he say let us go down and check this out I love that man anytime you talk to people and they're like oh, there ain't no Jesus there ain't no holy look God said let us go down and check this out see God's always going to come check it out before he pops you let me see what's going on I know what we'll do we'll make it where they can't understand one another then they'll disperse and that's what happened. But there's good news to this. Humanity was dispersed at the Tower of Babel for our own sake. And we were divided to save us from ourselves. 
But here's the good news. Everybody ready for the good news? Mm -hmm. Jesus went to the cross to bring us back to one voice. Jesus went to the cross for you, for me, for anyone who would believe that he is Lord. Jesus went to the cross and paid a sin debt that we couldn't pay. Jesus went to the cross because he knew that we were rebellious and we'd continue to mess it up. And when Jesus hung on that cross and he said, it is finished, that's the last covenant and the last promise that God ever had to make to people. Now he gives you a choice. John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So understanding that Jesus is Lord, putting your faith and trust in him lets you have a voice. But it's not your voice, it's God's voice. See, we as a church family, yes, we have been given a voice. We live in difficult times. We watch elections go crazy. We watch lies. We watch murder. We watch things we don't even, it just messes, us our, messes our heads up. We watch babies, just things that just mess your head up. But I'm going to tell you, God knew every bit of this was going to happen. And that's why he sent his son Jesus for this day for tomorrow and the next day. So it says, look in Acts 2.11. God has given us one voice. Now, you should go back and read the entire Acts chapter 2. This is Pentecost. This is, this is when the people, see, Jesus had told his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He comes and he's, he's hung, he's crucified, he's dead. He rose again on the third day. And then he ends up walking the earth. And so these disciples are following him along. And Jesus says, I'm leaving you, but I'm gonna send someone to be with you that's gonna give you more strength and more power than if I'm standing here with you. And then he ascends into heaven. He says, when I go, I want you to go and I want you to pray. I want you to have unity. I want you to come together as a family. And I want you to pray until this messenger gets here, until this spirit gets here. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit come upon the men and the women. And all these different dialects, all these different languages could now be understood by one another. Acts 2.11, it says, both Jews and converts to Judaism Cretans, Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. I don't know about you, but that helps me. The first time I ever got to give my testimony was in Costa Rica on a banana plantation. I was a new Christian, and I just knew that I... I, at one point in my life, I didn't want to live, but something had happened in me that want, made me want to live. Jesus had come into my life, and I'm on a banana plantation in Costa Rica, and a lady named Luz is translating my story of hope to a group of people I'd never met. What had happened? See, God's love gives us all common language. There was the spirit of God there where people were coming to Jesus and it wasn't because of me. It was because of God doing something as he had saved me. I shared my story 
and then he saved others. But that's you too. You have a story. Every person in this room has a story. Will it be your rescue story? Will you get to go around and tell it? You know, we got to listen this week to an artist and he talks about a rescue story. But you have a voice. And if you speak it and let God speak through you, it'll be a voice that can be understood by the believers and it may or may not sometimes be understood by the lost world. But that doesn't mean we can give up and stop praying for and stop hurting for the people who do not think and act like us. We can be very angry and mad at the sin that's on their life, but we can't be mad and angry at the creation that God made. And it's very easy for me to be mad at a person because of their beliefs. And I have to remind myself that I'm being angry at someone that God created. Let him be the judge. So a few things as we wrap up, we have to ask ourselves. Are we rebelling against God? Are we trusting God or are we trusting ourselves? Amen. I love it. Are we trusting God or ourselves? Second thing is, are we making his name great or are we making our name great? Thirdly, are we interested in staying together or are we being obedient to his call? A question that God asked me through this. Are you ready to acknowledge your own sin? Are we ready to acknowledge our own sin? That's a step to understanding who God is and seeing him move. Is that we have to acknowledge that we have sin and we have to address it and we have to wage war against it. It's not a get out of hell card. It's, it's, it's understanding that God came for that sin, but we have to acknowledge it and we have to battle it. Can you understand God's language? If you can't, ask yourself, how often are you spending time with God? Are you reading his word? Are you praying? Are you being a part of a family of believers where you can hear his voice speaking to you? I know sometimes I get myself into places where I'm watching a movie or doing something that's not from God and you halfway through it can say, man, this ain't from God. Happened to Barbara and I this week. I didn't get up out of that movie. Now, I wasn't at no X-rated movie. I was just in one of these, probably a PG-13, but it was a movie that was bad enough to convict me that I shouldn't be letting my eyes see some of the things that I saw. And it made me think as I was just praying last night, God, I can get myself in a place that can create these filters that I can't see or hear from you because this world has got this imagery messing up in my head. So I have to make sure I'm putting myself in a place that I can hear the language of God, the love language. So can you understand God's language? And if not, ask yourself how often you're spending time with him or his family. And this is the last thing. And as we do this, we'll just worship. I would love to see revival start here in this little old church this morning. And, and, and this news is good news. It's not to beat any of us up. 
But I promise you this, until we as a family trust each other enough to start sharing each other's sin burdens with us through our groups or through our friendships, we're not going to really see ourselves getting to grow deeper and deeper because it's, it's through the confession to one another that God gets to help us in, through our, our struggles. I try to model that as a pastor because I'm just telling you, I'm standing up here as a man very unworthy, but God does something that lets us all get into grow, but confession with each other. So are you consciously living with sin in your life? Do you, it's there, I know it's there, but I'm just good with it. If you're just done got to a place where you're just good with it, that's a form of rebellion against God. If we know, in our, in the, hey, there's a lot of sin in my life I don't even know if my eyes are opened up to yet. Y'all probably see it, but I don't. And that's why it's good to have people in your life that will speak life into you and say, Paul, did you know you were doing this? But if you're consciously living with sin in your life and you're, and you're unwilling to ask God to help you with it, that's a form of rebellion. See, God wants to take it from you. God wants to take this rebellious spirit that we have from us. God wants us to be his image bearers, but we have to let it go. We have to be the ones to open up our hands. He's the, he's the, he's the prodigal father. He's the father that's standing there saying, hey, son, come on back. Hey, daughter, come on back. I love you. I've made a way for you. You don't, have to, you don't have to live a life running away from me. You can have a life of peace. Don't mean our life will be perfect. There's, every day we're going to stumble and we're going to mess up in some way. But there's a difference between messing up and turning and turning away from that sin and putting your eyes back on God and continuing that walk than just saying, hey, I'm just really excited about living in this because this is kind of fun and I want to build my kingdom and not God's. As we worship these songs, will you pray and ask God where you're at? What you need to do to, if you're in a place where there's sin that you want to deal with? God loves you. I, I know I love you. And, and I'm just telling you, we as a family, as we love one another through our shortcomings, we'll get to see God glorified and we won't build our, we won't build our own towers we'll get to see God's family and God's kingdom get built. And it won't be anything that'll go away. It'll be something that lasts forever. Amen. Ain't that right, Miss Janet? Hey, let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your word, Lord, that falls upon us and never lets us stay the way we are. Lord, Holy Spirit, move inside of us. Change our hearts. Speak to us, Lord. Let us know that, that your altar is open for anyone that wants to come down and, and speak with you, to be able to have time with you. Lord, you're sitting there just patiently and lovingly waiting on us to just come to you. But God, let us, Father God, it has to be you, it can't be us, but let us be the change in this nation that we so desperately want to see. Father, let it start with us. Let it start with your family. We love you, God. We thank you so much for all that you give us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.